Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 9. I decided that the series that we've been on for the last several weeks, that we'll just continue that and then we'll still have one or two more messages that we'll bring after Friend Day that's related to this, but so that we can keep our thoughts Together, I thought it would be good to look at another one of the devil's dangerous devices. We already talked about the matter of deception and diversion and doubt and discouragement. Tonight, we're going to look at another one of those uh, deadly devices that the devil uses to accomplish His will in our life. Our text for this evening is found in verse number 61. I'm going to read that, but then we're going to back up so we can get the connection and and make the application. Verse 61 of Luke chapter 9, And another also said, Lord, I will follow Thee. But let me first Go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Our story actually begins back in the earlier part of this same chapter. Some of you would be very familiar with some of the things that I would say if I dealt in depth with the subject of discipleship, even A matter of a few weeks ago, we talked about some of these things, and if you look back to verse number 23, we find here the Lord speaking about the demand for discipleship. The demand for and the demands of. And He said to them all. So there's no exceptions among those who claimed to be his followers. He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Maybe it will help us to think about discipleship if we look at it like this, and that is that every disciple is a believer, but every believer is not a disciple. Now, they ought to be. In the strictest sense, we could say, yes, if you are a believer, you are a disciple, either a good one or a bad one. But the reality of it is, I'm not being a disciple unless I'm doing what a disciple does. That's the point the Lord is making. It's one thing to say that you will follow me. It's one thing to say that you are a disciple. It's another thing to do what a disciple does. And notice He he couldn't be any more clear about this. And in fact, he has never muddied the water in regards to any subject because he's never encouraged anyone to follow him under false pretense. And listen again to what he said. If anyone's going to follow me, notice, he must come after me, deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. In chapter number 14, he goes a bit more in detail, and if you'll turn there, 
Again, he's speaking about the demands of discipleship. And beginning in verse number 26, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So there must be unrivaled love. But then in the very next verse, he tells us that there must be unceasing cross-bearing. In other words, it's not something that we do occasionally. This has to be our manner of life. And he says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we have unrivaled loved, unceasing, cross-bearing. Now look at verse number 35. There is an unqualified renunciation of everything. And it's like he just sums it all up. Verse 33, rather. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is not the preacher making the stipulations. It's not me putting demands on you saying that you've got to do this and you've got to do that. This is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself telling us that if we're going to be His disciple, this is what it takes. And it's as clear as the nose on your face. The Lord expects every single one of us to be a disciple. The word disciple uh, means literally to be a student, but beyond that, it means to be an apprentice. The apprentice is someone that learns with the intent of putting into practice what they learn. You can be a student, strictly speaking, and not be an apprentice. In other words, you can be acquiring knowledge just so you'll satisfy your curiosity, just so you'll pass an exam. But when we talk about being a student in the sense of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about taking what we learn, incorporating that into our life, and living according to those principles. And the Lord says this is what it takes. Notice, come after Him, deny Himself, take up His cross daily, and follow Me. And it's been not over a month or two ago that I spoke about those very things that he mentioned there, each one of them, four different things that are absolute necessities if we're going to be a disciple. Now, we get down to verse number 57, and I want you to notice here that he speaks about the the delay of discipleship, or maybe... Uh, Maybe another way to look at it would be to literally just say the death of discipleship. And you'll see what I mean, because the Lord introduces us to three men, beginning in verse number 57. We're going to look at each one of these very briefly, and then we're going to look at the last one and focus in on the devil's device, which is delay. Just Put it off. Just wait till a more convenient time. The first man that comes to the Lord in verse 57 is the impulsive man. Notice what he says. And it came to pass that as he went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. 
Now, it, it, it sounds good. I mean, this fellow sounds sincere. I mean, you would think from what he says that this man is just ready to go. But the fact of the matter is, he is impulsive in that he has not counted the cost. He hasn't taken into consideration what he must give up if he's going to really be a disciple. And so, notice our Lord's response to what he said in verse 58, And Jesus said unto him, Now remember, the Lord's looking on his heart. The Lord knows exactly what he's thinking and what he's feeling And he never wasted any words. And notice his response to this man's uh, statement. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have, have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. It's kind of like the Lord saying, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you willing to follow me, although that you will de- be deprived of a, of a home, so to speak, and you'll be deprived of the comforts. I mean, look at, look at the creatures out there, the, the birds and the foxes, and they're taken care of. They, they have a home, they have a nest, but you won't have any of those things. Are you ready for that? You see, there are a lot of impulsive people that, you know, it might be in the excitement of the moment. Uh, it might be during a church service and the emotions are running high. Someone has just given a testimony and, and we're excited about it and just impulsively we say, hey, I, I want to get in on that. I want to, I want to do that. I kind of think that's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember in the early church, and it talked about the people and selling what they had and bringing it all and laying it down at the apostles' feet. And I mean, you know, no doubt that was impressive, right? It'd be impressive today for a whole church to respond to needs like that, to where everybody brought in what they had, they laid it down at the disciples' feet, they divided it up so that nobody had any need. And if you think that's socialism, by the way, you need to, you need to uh, take a special course because that's not what it is. It's, it's Christianity, you might say, in the purest form, but... Ananias and Sapphira looked at that, and uh, in the beginning, I think their intentions uh, were good. And so they decided, having some property, that they would sell the property and give the price of it to the church. And so they're going to participate like everybody else. But what happened is, and I don't know the details, it might be, and preachers for generations have suggested that maybe they got more out of the property than what they anticipated. Or or maybe all of a sudden they encountered some needs in their life that they had not thought about. And now they find themselves in a quandary where they think they need that money. They've made a commitment to the Lord. They've said they'll give this to the Lord, but they haven't thought it through. And now they go back on their promise. And you know the story. God took their lives. Listen, it's a serious thing for us to make a vow before the Lord. It's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. And for any of us, as the children of God, to make a promise to God and not keep that promise 
we're putting our life on the line. So here we have an impulsive man, but notice verse 59, we're introduced to another fellow here, and we'll call him the insincere man. Notice what happens, and he said unto another, Follow me, and he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and to bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now here's the problem. The problem is that it's very likely that This fellow's father was not dead at all. Remember, in those days, the Jews buried their dead the same day, and then after that they would stay in their house for like ten days of purification. J.C. Ryle, a famous preacher in years gone by, said that there was a year of special mourning after the funeral when all public duties were avoided. G. Campbell Morgan, another famous preacher, told the story of a Scotman named Adam Smith. And this fellow had gone over into the Holy Land, and while there he was escorted by a Bedouin chief. And so as he prepares to, to leave, and having been treated so kindly, Mr. Smith said to the man's son, this Bedouin chief's son, if you'll come to Scotland... He said, if you'll come to Scotland with me, I will provide you with an education at no cost. That seems like a great opportunity. I mean, you know, things, opportunities like that didn't come along very often. And here's what the, the boy said to Mr. Smith. He said, suffer me to bury my father. And the father is standing right there in good health. There's not a thing wrong with him. And you see, this young man had had done what so many do, and that is that he is simply using this as a courteous way to decline an invitation. So the Lord knows all of this, and he says, you let the dead take care of burying the dead. Here's what the guy is saying in essence is, You know, maybe I'll be willing to follow you after Daddy dies, but that might be ten years down the road. So just let me stay here until Daddy dies and everything's been taken care of, and then maybe I will follow you. Let me tell you something. Whenever the Lord imposes demands upon us to serve Him, when He gives us a commission, when He gives us a a ministry to do, we are not allowed to barter with God and to come to Him on our conditions. And you've heard people say, well, boy, if the Lord will just heal me, I'll I'll do anything. If He'll put my marriage together, I'll serve Him. If He'll he'll rescue me out of this financial disaster I'm in, I'll serve the Lord. Let me tell you, we better do what's right regardless of whether God does what we want Him to do or not. It's a dangerous thing for us to play that game with God, you know, that if you'll do this, I'll do that. It's a evidence of insincerity because the sincere Christian says to the Lord, I'm willing to follow you and to serve you and to obey you. It doesn't matter what happens in regards to all of these other things. 
I can't tell you the number of times over the years I've said to individuals talking to them maybe about a domestic problem, and I've had men to say, if God will just bring my wife back, if God will just, if God will just heal my marriage and so forth, I, I, I'm going to get back in church and I'm going to serve Him, and my response is always the same. I've said it again and again. What are you going to do if He doesn't? What are you going to do if He doesn't? If your wife never comes back, if your health is never restored, what are you going to do then? Because it's what you will do then that describes who you really are. And there's no sincerity involved in what is supposed to be a commitment when we attach all of these strings to it. Now that brings us down to the third fellow, and this is where we want to spend our time. I I've talked about these others because I think it's important that we understand that the devil has more than one way to trip up an individual. Verse 61, we see the indecisive man. Notice what happens. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. Now, now he's been listening, no doubt, to what the others said, and he's listened to the Lord's response, and it's kind of like, yeah, they probably won't make it, they won't really carry through, but Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We've seen the demands of discipleship, the delays of discipleship, and notice the death of discipleship in verse 61 where he says, Me first. Me first. That's always been our major problem. Me first. I'll follow you. I'll serve you. I'll do what you want me to do. But, but me first. That kills discipleship. But notice, notice what this fellow is saying. Let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at, at my house. So here's the story of a man expressing the desire to serve the Lord. But the point is he wants to delay the start. The request seems maybe to you reasonable. You know, why not? Should he not go home and set his house in order? Shouldn't he take care of all of those details? And you know, I might agree with you and I might think like you do were it not for what Jesus said in verse 62 because Jesus is reading between the lines and Jesus rebukes him. And so that tells me that this fellow was not all as sincere as we would like to think. So here is a man who is really indecisive. Maybe I will, you know, maybe I won't. Now, it's from this story that we learn a very important lesson. People who would not intentionally follow Satan oftentimes do so without even realizing it. Think about it. People that would never intentionally follow Satan end up doing so without realizing it, and they do so by procrastinating, by just putting off things that they ought to be doing. By the way, that pleases Satan just fine. 
The devil doesn't care how much you know. The devil really doesn't care what you believe. The devil doesn't care what you can do, so long as you never act on it. Just never do anything about it. Oh, you can go to Bible study and you can memorize Bible verses and that that's fine with me. And you can make commitments and on and on and on. And just, just don't do anything about it right now. Just wait. Over the years, I've got names just jumping into my mind as I look back over nearly a half a century now and thinking about all of the different ones that have made commitments before the church that I'm, you know, God has called me and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Or I see a need and nobody else has responded to it, but I'm going to respond to it. But then they never do. They just keep putting it off. So for the next few minutes, let's talk about the matter of delay. The dangers of delay. Number one, obligations are neglected. Obligations, and by the way, we all have our obligations, do we not? The very fact that the Lord is demanding discipleship tells me that we are under obligation to God, but those obligations are neglected if I procrastinate. In some way, we think that that disobedience is made acceptable by saying something like this. Well, I, I just don't have the time. I'll do it later. That's really just a sophisticated way of saying no. And you think back maybe in your life or or what you've observed in the lives of others, and I think we would all agree that there are thousands of things that are left undone. And it's not that we just intentionally set out to do this, or, or to not do this, whatever the case might be. It, it just happens because we keep putting things off. And all of a sudden, the kids have grown up and they leave home and they've, they've never received the attention that they so desperately needed. We could make a lot of applications here, but mom and dad, let me tell you, you just got one shot at this thing of raising your children. Just one opportunity. And it's gone just like that. Let me tell you, it's just unbelievable how fast the years go by. Our oldest daughter, of course, is here, and I could think back to to those early years when things were not so pleasant and things were very difficult. And all of us can look back and think about our failures as parents. I don't think anybody just sets out and plans to be a failure as a parent. We just, we just keep procrastinating. Maybe, maybe it's relationships that deteriorate because they're just continuously neglected. Maybe, the, maybe the, you know, the little things. The things that we don't consider to be major matters. The things that are just little issues. And we don't want to ruin our marriage, but we just, through neglect, watch it deteriorate year after year. It might be that it's the elderly who are left and forgotten in a nursing home. And our loved ones, 
die before we ever get around to doing the things that we plan to do. Uh, you know, all of us have got our plans, don't we? You know, I before mom dies or before dad dies, you know, I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And our intentions are somewhat good, but all of a sudden they're dead and gone and we never did get around to doing it. But whether it involves the the children or your spouse or your parents, whoever it is, we neglect our obligations and we keep putting things off. Think about this. The difference between what you are and what you could have been is often the same as the difference between what you plan and what you actually do. We plan on doing it. We know in our heart that's the right thing to do. We know we have an obligation to God, but we just don't do it. A lot of young people have planned on getting a college degree, and they planned on getting a good job, and they could have. I mean, they had the same opportunities as the kid down the street, and he did. They didn't. Why? Because they just kept putting things off. They didn't just decide one day that, well, I, I'm just going to make a mess out of my life. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I don't get a good education. I, I'm going to do something that will, you know, sabotage the possibility of ever getting a good job. No, they don't go about it that way. They just keep putting it off. And so our obligations are left undone. Secondly, Satan uses delay not only to keep us from fulfilling our obligations, but here's the second danger, and that is that others are affected by it. Others are affected by it. You know, if we could just live as we please and nobody else got hurt, that'd be one thing, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, it still might be bad, but it's not quite so bad if it doesn't hurt anyone but us. And I've I've heard people say, what I do is... My own business. I remember one woman telling me and one of our deacons one time, what my daughter does is her business. It's nobody's business down there at the church what she does. Well, that's where you're wrong. If you're a member of the church, it becomes the church's business. And it's sad that we let others get hurt because of our neglect and and boy, you carry that to the extreme. That's never more true than when it involves people not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we just keep putting it off. Oh, we intend to talk, talk to our aunt and our uncle and our mom and dad and our neighbor down the street. We Sure, we know that we ought to. They need to be saved like anybody else, but ah, it's just not a good time right now. And we keep putting it off until finally there are no more opportunities. But not only do others fail to have their needs met, but sometimes others have to carry more than their load. That can happen at the place of employment, to where everybody else has to carry their load. Every summer when I worked for the State Department in Missouri, we dreaded every summer because they would always send some of these college whiz kids coming down from the School of Engineering out of Rolla, Missouri, and I mean these hot shots that in a year or two are going to be, they're going to be our bosses, and here they are. 
They're coming down working, you know, between semesters or whatever it is. Or maybe they've recently graduated and now they've got their boots on the ground and they're getting involved and most of them's not worth the powder to blow their brains out. They, you know, they've got all of this head knowledge and they've, they've never picked up a double-bedded axe in their life. They have no idea what it's like to get out here and to pound grade stakes in the ground all day long with a 12-pound sledgehammer. They have not a clue what it means to put in a hard day's work, and here they are trying to tell us what to do. So we end up that we have to do our job and cover them for not doing theirs. We had one fellow that was an exception. Strange-looking little fellow. In fact, I could call his name right now. And Jim was just a little sort of a dried-up guy. I, today, by his looks, you would maybe call him a geek. That's kind of the way he looked. We didn't expect anything out of this guy. And man, I want you to know he was right there at our side every step of the way. I, I mean, if it was driving stakes in the ground or cutting down a tree, or a survey line, or whatever it was, he was right there. And we would have done anything for that man. Because he understood that he had a responsibility, and instead of telling us to do it, he was right there helping us do it. In the Lord's church, we all have a work to do. And for any of us to neglect our part of it, means that somebody else is going to have to do our job. Because none of us can do it all. I can't do it all. I don't have the intelligence to do it all. I don't have the physical strength to do it all. And and me and the deacons together and the trustees together, uh, we couldn't do it all. It takes an effort on the part of everybody and You know, if you just keep procrastinating and putting off getting involved, it simply means that somebody else is going to have to do it. And that that brings us to another thing, another way in which people are affected, and that is they're discouraged because of our lack of concern. Not only do they have to pick up the tab for us, not only do they have to do our work, But now they're discouraged. There's a lot of good examples of that with the children of Israel in the Old Testament, and I'll not get involved in that, but believe me, for us to neglect our job means that ultimately we're going to put more on the other fellow's shoulders and we're going to discourage them. The greatest encouragement that could come in the Lord's work is to look around and see others standing there at your side, willing to do their part, willing to help in whatever way they can. And Satan knows that if he can cause us to delay, that it will affect others and it will cause us to fail in our obligations. But there's one other thing I want to mention tonight, and that's the fact that our opportunities are are wasted. Just to make sure I got it right, I got my little pocket dictionary out and looked up the word opportunity. It's defined like this, a favorable combination of circumstances for doing something, a suitable chance. Now that's true, but let me say that words are totally inadequate to really 
describe it. Maybe a better description is this one. A certain sculpture many years ago made a figure of the God of opportunity. And he made the statue with long hair that completely covered its face. And it had wings on its feet. Someone asked the sculpture why the face of the statue was covered up. And he said, because we do not recognize opportunity when it comes. They said, why the wings on its feet? And he said, because it shows that opportunity is swiftly gone. And how true that is. The naturalists tell us, in all of their scientific studies, they've discovered that there are certain insects with a lifespan of just one hour. Think of that. They've been waiting for all of eternity, and all of a sudden this little insect is born into the world, and 60 minutes later it's dead. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, sometimes our opportunities are not even an hour long. And we need to take advantage of those opportunities. When I think about the children of Israel there in Numbers chapter 14, you, you know the story. They received the report back from the spies, and uh, of course, Caleb and Joshua said, hey, uh, they're right. There are giants in the land, no doubt about that. And we are indeed, just like grasshoppers, it would appear they could squash us, but... With our God, we can go and we can take the land. Let's go. And they said, no. They voted. You see, the majority is not always right. And so they voted and decided they're not going to go. And boy, God let it be known in no uncertain terms that this decision is going to cost you dearly. And so the next day, they decided, whoops, whoops, we made a mistake. We better go. And God said, no, it's too late now. Remember, we come to God and we serve God on His terms. One day, too late. Now think about it. We often talk about God's patience, how long-suffering He is. But here is an instance where... God said, enough is enough. I gave you the opportunity. Yesterday you could have gone. Yesterday you could have taken the land. They delayed just 24 hours. And God said, don't even try it now. You'll be defeated. You see, that's the way our opportunities are. The next time you're tempted to just delay on some important issue, think about what you might lose. They lost the promised land. You might lose the blessing of helping someone. You know, the greatest blessing, and I could stand here and I'm just, Bev and I are so thrilled to think that the church is so kind as, as to do what the church has done for us. That, that's, that's a blessing beyond our ability to, to describe. But let me tell you, the greatest blessing is not so much what others do for us as what we are allowed to do by way of ministering to them. 
You'll never find, you'll never find a happy Christian who's ignoring their responsibilities toward other people. The best way in all of the world to have joy unspeakable is to get busy helping somebody else. And we lose that when we procrastinate. Secondly, we lose our respect. Well, the list goes on and on, and I could spend 30 minutes. We lose our respect. We lose our peace of mind. If we're unsaved, we could end up losing our soul. Here's the danger. The more we procrastinate, the easier it becomes. Have you ever noticed that? Until after a while, it just becomes a way of life. That's just, you know, it's, it's a practice and now it becomes a habit and that just defines us. He or she is a procrastinator. I was sitting here a while ago and happened to be thumbing through the back of my Bible and I keep all kinds of little notes and things like that that I've read at some point that, that impress me in some way and I come across this. I've never, I read it only one time some years ago, stuck it in my Bible. I've never read it again. I've certainly never read it publicly. I'd uh, read the story of uh, C.T. Studd, and if you've never read the story of that great missionary, you ought to. But you do know a little bit about this man because you've heard someone quote that famous statement that he made, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I'll bet some of you have said that. At least you're familiar with it. But I'd never read this, evidently a poem or a song or whatever it is. Has anyone ever read the complete thing? Anyone? Since we're talking about discipleship and the importance of making sacrifices and doing it now, I thought this would be a great time to read this because here was a man who literally gave away a fortune so it would not hinder him from serving God. So here's what he wrote. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon its fleeting hours be done. And then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy your sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for Thee and Thee alone, bringing Thee pleasure on Thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Those words were written by that great missionary to China, India, and Africa. And he was a man who practiced what he preached. And I think in that poem captures for us what our attitude ought to be about discipleship, and that is that we do not procrastinate, that without delay, that we do whatever it is that God would have us to do. Don't let Satan win another major victory in your life by just putting it off. Sometimes I hear people say, well, when's so-and-so going to do this, or when are they going to do that? And well, my answer is, I don't know. But I know a lot of people make big mistakes because they just keep putting it off. If we ought to obey God, we should always do it as soon as possible. If it has to do with baptism, you don't need to pray about that. The Lord has commanded us. And if you've been saved and you've not been scripturally baptized, you need to settle that, I mean, right now. Not some later time. If you know where God wants you to be by way of your church home, you ought to do something about it right now. Not someday. Don't keep putting it off because someday the door of opportunity is going to be shut in your face. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's stand, Father. Thank You for giving us the wonderful opportunity And Lord, if we were not so privileged as to live another day, we never know when our last day on this earth might be. But if we never had another opportunity to sing Your praise or to bear witness of Your saving grace or to help our neighbor or to do anything, we just want to say thank You tonight for giving us all of the wonderful opportunities that we've had. And help us, Lord, to never neglect those opportunities that we might treasure each moment that You leave the door open, that we might do what we can to do Your will while we have the opportunity. So speak to our hearts here tonight. May we leave nothing undone, but leave here with a pure conscience, knowing that, that we've done our best to do Your will. In Jesus' name.